Hello, and welcome to the Embassy City Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Tim. What's up, Embassy City family? I love you guys, and I hope you're all doing well to our Vitamin E peeps. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Listen, I have the honor and the privilege of spending time with my family. So we are on vacation for the entire month of July. We have Tim Rivers, a dynamic pastor who is about to literally turn our worlds upside down. Get up on your feet and give a big round of applause. Your speaker for the entire month is Tim Rivers. Hey, are you glad to be in God's house this morning? I'm so excited to see you. If this is your first time here, we want to say welcome to Embassy City. You've honored us with your presence, and we just believe that whatever you need from the Lord, you will receive and more. And for those that are watching online, we want to say welcome to our Vitamin E family. My name is Tim Rivers, and I'm actually filling in for Pastor Tim Ross while him and his family are out getting some much-needed R&R time. And I've just had a a ball being with you all for the last two weeks, and I'm going to be here for a few more weeks, so uh, we better ramp it up and have some church for the next three weeks. And somebody say amen. Amen. All right, so if you uh, are rolling with us, you know we're in this series called Upset the Church. But before we get into the series, I want to celebrate with you because you all are about to embark in something absolutely spectacular, and that is you're about to launch Embassy City Youth. Come on now. As someone who spent uh, many years in next-gen ministry, uh, we talked about this last week, but where one generation stops, the next generation begins. And it is very important, if we want to see the gospel continue and the work of God continue, we have to invest in the next generation. And so hats off to Pastor Ryan for getting this youth ministry started. Come on. And let me tell you, if if you've never been in youth ministry, it ain't for the faint of heart. (laughs) You think you're called to preach until you do youth ministry, and then you start questioning uh, whether or not you should go sell insurance. You know what I mean? Uh, but but I want to I encourage you, if you're a young person here or if you're a parent of a young person or a grandpa, grandma, auntie, uncle, neighbor, whoever you are, bring your young people July the 22nd to the movie night. It's going to be absolutely phenomenal time. God's going to do something special in the next generation. I wish somebody believed that. So get in on the party. All right. So y'all ready to get in this word? Yes. Grab your Bibles. Let's go to Revelation chapter 2. Now, let me just catch you up. If you've been rolling with us uh, for the last couple weeks, you know that we're in the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3. And what we're doing is we're looking at seven letters that are written to the seven churches which are in Asia. And for all you Bible scholars and theologians out there uh, that have been wondering why we're not doing an expository study, going word for word and line by line, I want to give you a little bit of context for what we're reading in Revelation chapter 2. Because oftentimes when you read the New Testament or the Bible in general, but specifically the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, we can assume that all the books were written together. Matthew all the way to Revelation in the same time period by different authors. However, the inception of the church happened in AD 33. By the time Revelation was written by John, it was AD 96. So the church had been in existence for 63 years 
by the time this book is written. So when John is writing to the churches, he's not writing to a new church that has uh, just been in existence, but he's writing to a church that has been in existence for decades. So when we look at the scripture, what we are finding Jesus addressing, he's addressing a church that has a propensity to become complacent with their faith. So when we say upset the church, we really mean that these letters are upsetting the church. It's turning the church right side up because they've gotten upside down. So we're going to look at uh, two churches today. We already started the first uh, week. We started off looking at Ephesus and them moving away from Christ and Christ saying, hey, you need to come back. And we call that message side check Jesus. <laughs> and then the second week, we talked about why in hell would you stop? <laughs> we talked about the church at Smyrna and how they were to endure persecution. So today we're going to look at two churches. So if you have your Bibles, Revelation chapter two, verse number 12. Here we go. It says, and to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now, let me just stop and say this. God is omnipresent, which means that he's everywhere at all times. Satan is not. He's just a fallen angel. So when people say, man, I've been fighting the devil, it's like, well, you probably were fighting the demon. But this place apparently was the throne room of Satan himself. He says, yet you hold fast my name and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. Let's skip down to verse number 18. And to the angel of the church at Thyatira, write, the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat uh, food sacrificed to idols. So we're going to look at two churches, the church at Pergamum and the church at Thyatira. And while these churches are different and they've gone through different things, when we begin to get into the scripture, we realize they're two sides of the same coin. See, Pergamum was a place where a lot of idolatry was. It was the epicenter of pagan worship. They had temples built to uh, Zeus and Athena and all types of other gods. And what was happening with the church at Pergamum is that they were having a lot of pressure from outside the church to conform to the ways of the world. And some of the church folk were getting involved in pagan worship while at the same time, worshiping in the house of God and blurring the lines of Christianity. So much so that the world around them couldn't tell whether they, they were Christians or they were pagans. And the result of them blurring the lines was that they practiced sexual immorality and ate food offered to idols. The church at Thyatira was a little different because they weren't as surrounded by pagan practices 
But what they were dealing with is they were dealing with pressure from inside the church to compromise. Can I tell you that pressure to compromise doesn't always come from the outside? In fact, Peter, when he wrote to the church, he said, there are false teachers among you. In other words, in the church house, there can be false teachers. And this prophetess Jezebel was preaching heresy and some of the church folk, while singing in the choir, were still uh, adopting practices that were heretical. And guess what the results were? Eating food offered to idols and practicing sexual immorality. So what Jesus is writing when he's writing to the church at Pergamum and the church at Thyatira, he's saying, church, I want you to stop blurring the lines between what is right and wrong. Because here's the problem. When you start When you profess to be a Christian, but your life don't reflect it, it confuses people. So for the next few moments, I want to preach on this thought. Counterfeit Christianity. (laughs) Counterfeit Christianity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you for drawing us to your house. I pray that you would open up your word. In the next few moments, let our hearts be good soul upon which the word is planted and help us to bear fruit of it. We thank you, Lord God, for the great work that you're about to do in this place. Change us from the inside out in Jesus' name. And somebody say amen. amen. So if you've been around in the last few months and really probably the last year, you know that there is kind of a trend among Christians called deconstruction. And there's a lot. If you're a millennial, if you're a Gen Zer, you know that this is kind of a hot topic. Everyone is talking about being a deconstructionist. In fact, I've met tons of people that uh, right now are going through deconstruction. So let me define what deconstruction basically is. Deconstruction means that you take something and you reduce it down to its constituent parts for reinterpretation. And deconstruction is not inherently wrong. In fact, if you go back to the 16th century, there's a man by the name of Martin Luther who was experiencing the church in a new way. He heard what the church was professing to be, but what he saw didn't match what he felt like was written in the scriptures. And so he began to deconstruct his faith. He began to pull things apart and wonder, is this right or wrong? Is this faith or fear? Is this doctrine or false? And when he reduced it down, he realized that the church no longer looked like what the scripture intended the church to look like. So he wrote what is called the 95 Thesis. And the 95 Thesis basically said two things. One, that the Bible itself, sola scriptura, the Bible itself is the sole authority on religion. And number two, that Christians are saved by grace through faith. There's nothing they can do, no deeds they can do to save themselves. And it is this belief and this deconstruction that led to what was known as the Reformation. And can I tell you, every great revival, every great reformation, every great awakening happened as a result of deconstruction. Now, if you're in this place and you're deconstructing your faith, let me help you. Because deconstruction without plans for reconstruction only ends up in destruction. So when you pull your faith apart, make plans to put it back together. Because if you don't, then you will just end up being destructed. 
The best part about deconstruction is that when you begin to pull things apart and you look at it, you find out what is real and what is fake. You find out what is authentic and what is counterfeit. When you begin to pull things apart, you see the intricate details of what makes it it. And you see, is this right or is it wrong? Is it real or is it fake? Is it authentic or is it counterfeit? So as I begin to study the word and and we're, we're looking at this counterfeit Christianity, the Lord led me to the scripture in Acts chapter 19. And you may have heard this story before. Uh, or you may not have, but I think it's a fascinating story, and I want to share it with you. So Acts chapter 19, verse number 11. Here's what it says. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Think about how phenomenal that is. That people that want to get healed ain't even bothering coming to Paul. They're like, yo, um, run up there, touch this handkerchief to his skin and bring it back so I can get my healing. And it was actually happening. Then this is what the scripture says. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now, seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them. I think this is so funny. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I recognize. But who you is? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I think this is absolutely hilarious <laughs> because let me give you a little bit of context. Paul, you can read about his conversion experience in Acts chapter nine. Paul has this amazing conversion experience. He's on his way to persecute more of the believers. He's on his, the road to Damascus, and there Jesus appears to him. He strikes him with blindness, and then he begins the process of being converted. Then he's converted, and he goes under tutelage with the apostles, and then he begins to minister. And as he is ministering, God begins to do phenomenal things through Paul and Peter and the rest of the apostles. I mean, blinded eyes are being opened. Uh, Lame legs are beginning to walk again. Deaf ears are being unstopped. The dead are being raised. Phenomenal things. Revival is breaking out all over the place. In fact, God was using Paul so much that the scripture says that through the ministry of Paul, all of Asia heard the gospel in the space of two years. So Paul is doing what Paul is doing. He's just doing what God's called him to do and great things are happening. But can I tell you that anytime God begins to do great things in your life, it ain't just the saints that notice. Because uh, evil spirits begin to notice, wait a minute, uh, God is doing some phenomenal things through Paul. Now, during this period of time, there's a lot of uh, exorcism that was happening. And there was a group of people. There were like traveling magicians. They were vagabonds. They were almost like gypsies. And they went around from town to town and they would do spells and incantations and mixed potions and exorcisms. And they would do it for money. So they were making guap, doing all of this magic stuff. And, and, and they were going around and all of a sudden I can just, just imagine that these seven sons of a man named Siva were, were, they were making their money and they were doing their thing. But all of a sudden their customers 
stopped showing up. So I can imagine one of them looking at the other and be like, hey, bro, uh, you know, Jimmy always comes on Tuesday. But it's been four weeks and we ain't seen Jimmy. Where's Jimmy at? You know, we got to pay these bills. I got to get these sneaks. <laughs> I got to get this money. Where has he been? And, and, and I can imagine someone being like, haven't you heard? See, Paul has been doing something through uh, a man by the name of Jesus. And it's so phenomenal that they don't need to come back. And he's doing it for free. <laughs> So the seven sons of Siva are like, all right, well, this may be a new type of magic. So let's go check it out and let's see if we can learn something. So these seven sons of Siva begin to trail Paul and they started taking notice of what he was doing. So they said, man, all right, I, I see the way he holds his body. I see the way he does his hand and, and I see what incantation he's using. And we noticed that the thing that is the common denominator in every one of these miracles is that he keeps using the name of Jesus. There seems to be some kind of power, some kind of miraculous power in the name of Jesus. So the scripture says they got brave. <laughs> they started thinking that they got it figured out. So they all got together. And I can imagine the seven sons. You know, you got to elect somebody to try it out first. <laughs> so, so they were looking at each other. It's probably the youngest son. I'm the youngest in my family. And it was probably the youngest son. And they say, hey, bro, you go try it out. We're going to stand right here. So the youngest son of Seva, he goes up and he's like, all right, let's find the most demon-possessed person and see if it works. So they find the person that's demon-possessed and they're like this. Hey, bro, we adjure you or we cast out you in the name of Jesus. And by the way, in case you wonder which Jesus we're talking about, we don't want you to get confused. It's the Jesus that Paul proclaims. Nothing happens. And it is this point that the seven sons of Siva begin to get nervous because the evil spirit, whatever he was doing, rolling on the floor, frothing at the mouth, whatever. You know, you watch the movies and, and they always creeping around, stopped in his tracks, looked up at him and said, now, fellas, <laughs> Jesus, we know him. In fact, we were right there when he led captivity captive. We know that he, he, he got power over death, hell and the grave. We know that there ain't no stopping him. Satan himself couldn't get him down. So we know Jesus and we ain't messing with him. And and Paul, man, he's been messing up our lives for the last few years. He's been casting us out of all kinds of stuff like we don't like Paul and we recognize Paul. But but you. <laughs> hey, hey, listen, listen, we'll, we'll do it for Paul and we'll do it for Jesus. But who is you? Rolling up here thinking that we're going to leave because you tell us. And the scripture says that the man in whom the evil spirit was leapt on all seven of them, overpowered them, beat their clothes off and sent them down the street, but naked. How embarrassing is that? And we read the story and we're like, why did they try it? Well, it's because the seven sons of seven were trying to experience a miracle without knowing the miracle worker. They were trying to experience power without having the power. They wanted to look like it. They used the same ingredient. They used the same verbiage. But baby, there ain't nothing like the real thing. You can try to fake it until you make it with everything else except for Christ. You got to have the real thing. But here's the problem. Many of us are dealing with the same dilemma. Because there are so many people that will, they will say they are godly and Christian, but their lives don't reflect it. They want to back it up on Friday and sing in the choir on Sunday. 
Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> they want to have an affair on Thursday, but preach on Sunday. And Jesus said, I ain't going to deal with that because there ain't going to be no counterfeit Christianity. <laughs> you see, in the church right now, we're dealing with a lot of counterfeit Christianity. People that want to express that. I'm sorry, I'm just in the Bible. I'm just a messenger. And remember, we're upsetting the church. What Jesus is writing to the church of Thyatira and Pergamum is like, hey, yo, I know that you are enduring all kinds of stuff, but let me tell you something. There is a line that I've drawn. There ain't no gray about what Christianity is. There ain't no gray in the Bible. It's black and white. Our interpretation may be gray, but the Bible says what the Bible says. Oh, y'all don't believe me. All right. All right. So the reason why most of us, here's the thing. When we look at getting the real thing, a lot of times we will notice that the real thing costs extra. It's got an expensive price and, and, it, and it's going to require sacrifice. And it's going to require us to say no to something so we can say yes to the real thing. And here's the thing, because many of us think that it's too expensive for the real thing and it costs too much and it requires too much sacrifice, we will settle for a fake imitation of the real thing. But here's the thing about counterfeits. Counterfeits seem real until they're next to the real thing. <laughs> See, the seven sons of seven were making guap because what they were doing looked real until the real thing showed up and showed them off. Because see, authenticity exposes counterfeit. Oh, I'm preaching now. Okay, y'all still don't believe me. All right, so let me break it down for you. I wanted to go out and buy something really expensive, a nice piece of, of material, a nice piece of clothing. I wanted to go out and buy that Gucci to show you just how it looks when you buy something authentic and real. But since I ain't got that kind of cheddar, <laughs> just to be throwing down a few hundred dollars for a sermon prop, I went to Walmart. And I bought me a white shirt. Then I went to the office supply section and I bought me some transfer paper. And I went home and got on my inkjet printer and I printed myself a Gucci shirt. Here's the thing. It's the same colors. It's the same font. In fact, it sounds the same. But this ain't real. <laughs> and too many of us are walking around with Gucci with a CH. And God said, I ain't having none of it. <laughs> there are too many counterfeit Christians. Here's the thing. I can tell you all day long, I got a Gucci shirt. I can tell you all day long, hey, look at the colors. I got a Gucci shirt. And some of y'all were looking through that, and y'all were like, man, he, he spent some guap on that shirt. <laughs> because you really didn't know. But here's the thing about counterfeits. You wanna, if you do some close examination, you know. Wait a minute. The lettering is off. But if you really want to know if it's fake, you got to look on the inside. Oh, God. Because if you look at the label, the label will tell you where it comes from. Oh, <laughs> I was just going to tease this morning. I'm sorry, y'all. If you look at the label, it says George. I paid $5 for this T-shirt. <laughs> but here's the problem. I didn't want to pay the price for the real. 
I didn't want to make the sacrifice to get the real thing. So I settled for a cheap imitation of what is real. That's called counterfeit Christianity. Oh, Lord, have mercy. I brought myself a handkerchief this morning, too. So I want to help you because a lot of us are around people that are counterfeits. But here's the thing. The counterfeit process has gotten better and better. And listen, I'm not trying to throw shade on any of y'all wearing Fuji or whatever, you know. I <laughs> but here's the thing. There are some ways, some identifiers to notice if something is fake. So I want to show you how you can spot a counterfeit. Number one is... They're fruitless. <laughs> See, the, Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Bad fruits, bad roots. Let the fruit speak for itself. Let me tell you, if they claim to be a Christian, but all they produce is bitterness, strife, envy, anger, complaining, always talking about people, always down and out, counterfeit. Because when you get a real authentic experience with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit within you will produce love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness. The fruits of the Spirit are evidence that you got the real thing. Look at their fruits and see if it's real. Here's the second thing. Not just fruitlessness, but rebellion. Because see, counterfeit Christians are rebellious. And rebellion actually means to resist authority or control. You ever met somebody that is just resistant to the truth? In fact, we're dealing with a lot of it right now. Our entire culture is filled up with rebellious people. Rebellion is knowing the truth and resisting it. It's knowing that God, knowing what God says in his scripture, but choosing and deciding to circumvent the scripture to do your own thing. And the only way that God deals with rebellion is he chastens it. We, we know this to be true with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, God said, listen, there's one thing that you can't do. I don't want you to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. They know the truth. They know the consequence of the truth. And yet they decide to rebel against God and go eat the fruit anyways. And as a result, guess what happened? They were cast out of the garden, out of the place that God intended for them to be, away from all the things that God provided them, and they had to live outside of paradise. The only way that rebellion is dealt with is to be chastened. Same thing is true of Mr. Samson with his long hair. He had all kinds of power. And what did God say? Don't cut your hair and don't give away the secret. But he knew the truth, but he was flirting with the world. So the closer he got to Delilah, the more he thought he could resist the commands of God. So he gives away his secret. And guess what happens? He gets chastened. He dies a blind man, only receiving power for one act. So the second thing is rebellion. Here's the third thing. Third way that you can spot a counterfeit Christian is that they're arrogant. The scripture says that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Have you ever met somebody that is arrogant, prideful for no reason? <laughs> Have you met, you met somebody that you're like, okay, they got a reason to be proud. I mean, if I had that boat, I'd be like that too. But you ever met somebody that ain't got jack to be proud about? 
but it's just arrogant for no reason. I remember this, this guy that I went to church with years back. At that time, he was very irresponsible with his money. He, I mean, the type of guy that if he needed $3 worth of gas, would go to the gas station, get him a $1.50 soda, and then put the rest in gas. You know what I'm saying? Like that type of irresponsibility. <laughs> and, and I remember one time he invited me to go to Starbucks. He was like, yo, bro, you want to roll to Starbucks? And I'm like, yeah, fam, let's go. And so we go to Starbucks, and he's driving. He, we ride up to Starbucks, and we get uh, to order our drinks. I order my drink up back up, and he's just standing there. And I'm like, bro, are you going to order a drink? And he's like, no. And I'm like, why not? He goes, well, I ain't got no money. And I'm like this. Wasn't this your idea? <laughs> and now I feel obligated to buy you something because you drove us. So I roll up to the counter and I'm like, yeah, just whatever he wants. And I'm expecting him to order just a plain black coffee. (laughs) Make it a tall bro. He goes up and he says, I'll take the triple shot, vente, extra caramel, extra chocolate chips. And I'm like this, bro, why are you being this way? A few months later, we go to Starbucks again. And that, that was my fault. I probably should not have gone to Starbucks again with him. <laughs> but we get to Starbucks again, and this time I had forgotten my wallet, right? So he goes up and he orders his triple shot venti, whatever he got. And I didn't have anything because I didn't have my wallet with me. So he walks up to me slurping his little thing, his frappuccino, and he says, hey, are you going to order something? I'm like, no, I forgot my wallet. He goes, well, <laughs> too bad for you. <laughs> Arrogant. Counterfeit. Since then, he's repented, so God bless him. (laughs) Here's the fourth way that you can tell a counterfeit Christian is that they are unthankful. Let me tell you something. I could tell you all the reasons to be thankful, but I'd rather give you the antithetical argument, which is the opposite of thankfulness. If somebody's unthankful, they have a couple characteristics. They have a couple character traits. Number one, they complain about everything. Have you been around somebody that literally complains about everything? The dog, the cat, the turtle, the fish, the wife, the husband, the son, the daughter, the grandma, the grandpa, literally everything. You could give them a brand new car and they would complain that it ain't the car that they wanted. They complain about everything. They also keep a record of wrong. You met those person? They literally will go in their notes on their phone. Uh, Felicia did me wrong back in 1975 and I ain't going to forgive her. They keep their cup half empty. No matter how much you pour in that cup, it's always half empty. Someone's always shorting them. Have y'all seen this video of this guy who went to, to wing stop and got shorted one wing? And that man tripped so hard that he poured hand sanitizer all over their little register. And on his way out, he pulled a gun on them for one wing. Brother, I'll buy you some wings. Let it go. They always avoid people. Unthankful people are unthankful because they avoid people. Let me tell you something. It's hard uh, not to be thankful when you're around other people because other people give you perspective. That's why you got to make sure that you get into a party because you start realizing that what you're going through ain't all that bad when you start talking to other people that are going through worse. (laughs) And another characteristic of someone who's unthankful is that they ignore all that God has done for you. You want to be unthankful? Just ignore the fact that God spared your life in that car accident. Ignore the fact that you got a good doctor's report when the doctor said there wasn't no hope. 
If you want to be on that, well, just ignore the fact that God provided for you and made a way when there seems to be no way. To be on that, well, just don't think about anything that God's done for you. Here's the fifth way that you can tell a counterfeit Christian is they are deceptive. And we're dealing with a lot of that right now. People who will tell you that the Bible is optional or that scriptures are not relevant for today. Can I tell you that we as pastors and preachers have an obligation to exegete the scripture. That means to pull out what the scripture means. We can't eisegete. Eisegete means to put your own interpretation to the scripture. A lot of pastors will put their own interpretation to the scripture and try to present it as fact. That is deceptive. In fact, Peter said, you better be careful because there are going to be false teachers that creep in among you and they will preach heresy and they will deceive many. Paul said that if we or any angel come preaching any other gospel, let them be a curse. Stay away from deceptiveness because deception is just a product of a counterfeit Christian. Now, I don't know if you were paying attention, but fruitlessness, rebellion, arrogance, unthankful and deceptive. It's an acronym for one word, fraud. Because a counterfeit Christian, (laughs) a counterfeit Christian is a fraud to the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you and I'm sharing this with you because we're going to get upset. God is going to rattle us because what God is looking for in 2022 is a church that is real, authentic, honest, open, transparent, and we simply want to do what God has called us to do. When Jesus wrote, Through the penmanship of John to the churches at Pergamum and Thyatira, he didn't ignore the pressure to compromise. Jesus didn't say that you wouldn't have pressure and influence in your life, both externally and internally, to compromise. We all have an option to compromise. And often we will compromise because the real thing seems to cost too much. It seems to require too much. It seems to require too much of a sacrifice. But can I tell you, here's good news. Because Jesus already paid it all. You can have the real thing because the real thing done paid the price. So many of us are like, The people in Pergamum and Thyatira were dealing with pressure to compromise, wanting to do the will of God, not willing to let go and backslide, but at the same time wrestling through these temptations and desires to fulfill the flesh. But the scripture says, be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you come to a place Will you realize, man, I've been going through the motion of being a Christian without truly honing in to be a Christian. Maybe you had a conversion experience and maybe that's where it stopped. Maybe you are a convert, but you're not a disciple. Well, I'm here just to preach the word and tell you that God wants you to be an authentic, true, real Christian. 
No games played. No act here. No curtain calls here. Because being authentic is going to require you to be, as Pastor Tim always says, hot, honest, open, and transparent. And it's uncomfortable. See, the, the church at Pergamum, they felt uncomfortable going to the market and being different. They wanted to dab it up with Mr. Pagan guy over here, but not let go of the promise of salvation. But Jesus said, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not done this? Have we not done that in your name? Have we not used your name? And Jesus said, I will look at them. This, I believe, is going to be the saddest moment in history. Jesus said, I will look at them and I say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I never knew you. So here's the question. Do you know him? Not do you know of him, but do you know him? And oftentimes when you read the scripture, the word know is used in a very intimate relationship, just much as a husband and wife know each other in a sexual way. They become one flesh. And that's what God is calling us to do, is to know Christ so intimately that we become one with him. Because when you're one with Christ, wherever you go, people will know that you are different. You ain't running around with Gucci. (laughs) You're wearing the real thing. And if they check the label, they can say, man, on the inside, they ain't no different than what they are on the outside. There's no question that they're an authentic Christian. So today, the challenge to us The upset to us from the church of Pergamum and Thyatira is be real. Don't settle for fake. Don't settle for counterfeit. Don't settle for a cheap imitation of the real thing. God has the real thing for you. Can you close your eyes? I want to pray for us because as we've done in the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the scriptures and we've been identifying conditions. And what we're really talking about are principles. So maybe you're in this place and you say, you know what? I feel like I've been kind of playing church. And man, I feel like I'm getting rattled right now. And that's good because that's the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And believe me, as I'm going through this, I had to lay on my face last night and ask myself the question, ask myself the question as a pastor, as a preacher, am I being authentic? Or am I just going through the motion? Is my thought life right? Is my, are my actions right? Am I treating my wife right? Am I being a good father? Am I doing what God's called me to do? Or am I just professing to be a Christian? And all of us have got to do that internal exam. So if you're in this place, I just want you to put your hands in a posture to receive. Just both hands, lift them up to the Lord. Dear Lord, we come to you right now. We say, fill us up with the real thing. We're tired of playing church. We don't want to go through the motion. We don't want to screenplay and act, but we want to be real and genuine. Write your name upon our hearts. Let it be etched so deep that wherever we go, people will know. Just as they did the disciples, they said, they have been with Jesus. Help us to be so saturated with the real thing that when we walk into work, people notice they're a true Christian. 
When we go to the marketplace, they know they've been with Jesus. When we hang out with our family, they know they're different. Help us to be all in for you. We give your name all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, because you're worthy of it. In Jesus' name. And everybody shout amen. amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening today. If this message spoke to you in any way, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. We would like to connect with you. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit embassycity.com. You can watch live on Sundays and view past messages on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Church. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Embassy Irving. If you'd like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at embassycity.com or text embassycity, all one word, to 77977. We pray you have a great week. Thanks for listening today.